Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis. Number one show at 9, well, the number one show at 5 o'clock. And and, um, we have a full uh, studio today. We have Judge Weinberg, and he'll tell us where the heck he was on on 9-11. We have Governor Patterson. And... He was first deputy mayor, or first, or, or, or just deputy mayor, uh, during 9-11, Rudy Washington, who will uh, tell us his experiences on 9-11. And this is an important weekend. It's 9-11 weekend. There's a new king in, um, uh, in England, and uh, you never know. Maybe the king will call in, or somebody close to the king. Mm. And... Uh, <clears throat> We have a great show for you today. Lydia? Absolutely. We're going to be speaking with uh, former FDNY Commissioner Daniel Nigro. We'll speaking, speak as well with uh, Nigel Farage. Of course, we'll talk to him about what's going on in England and about King Charles III. And we've got a great show for everyone. And we'll also be talking with uh, Rudy Giuliani, America's mayor, Dr. Peter Mikolos. But first on the line with us, we have uh, Governor George Pataki, who was there during that you know, fateful and day. Help, and he helped make a difference mm-hmm. uh, that day. Uh, Governor Pataki, uh, uh, tell us, uh, where were you that day, that morning? Well, thank you, John, for having me on. And I think it's important we never forget that day. I happened to be in New York City. I almost never stayed in the city. But uh, I was in the city, and our, our daughter, who was working at Bloomberg News, called me and said, turn on the TV. A plane hit one of the towers. So, I had her on the phone, and we were watching, and I was explaining how it was probably an accident. And then I saw the second plane hit and immediately knew we were being attacked and that uh, we were under grave danger. So what you do at that point is you just spring into action. I activated our emergency command center uh, in Albany. I called up the National Guard, closed the bridges and tunnels and tunnels and airports, called uh, Giuliani. and let him know I was in the city and we were activating our mutual aid and other support so he could talk to me about anything he needed. And then I called President Bush. And, you know, it was just uh, one thing after another. But uh, in a time of crisis, uh, you can't just sit there and think you actually have to act. And uh, we have uh, in the studio with us, by the way, uh, Governor, uh, uh, we have uh, Judge Richard Weinberg. And you were with Peter Vallone at that time. He was the speaker of uh, right. New York City. What happened was it was it was awful. But the next day we were back at uh, City Hall on Wednesday, and we were working with uh, Governor Pataki and his staff and Mayor Giuliani and their staff. We were starting to get the idea to bring the city back by doing a commission. And Governor Pataki and uh, Mayor Giuliani led that effort because we wanted to show the world that we weren't going to be knocked down, and that we we're going to stay down. We we're going to get back up on our feet and rebuild New York. Rudy Washington, where were you? You were deputy mayor under Rudy Giuliani. Yes. Um, actually, I was standing underneath the building when it started coming down. Oh, my God. And um, I made it back to City Hall, and uh, the governor called, Governor Pataki. He called, uh, and he and I, for the first few hours, were coordinating and, and running the city because um, I was making my way to the mayor, who was in the building, less, less I knew, and as I was approaching the building, the building came down. Um, and um, when I spoke to Governor Pataki, it was a very unpleasant conversation because he said to me, Rudy, where's, the, where's Rudy? And I said, the last I knew he was in the building. Oh, my God. Uh, so, so, you know, he's a what building? He was kind of in shock at what I was saying to him. I said, you know, 
last report I had, he was in the building, and I was on my way to the building, and I told him what happened. And he said, Rudy, you got to find him. And um, I, I grabbed a few cops and told them the situation and said, we got to go back down there and find him. We got to find the mayor, you know, and, and the governor wants to know where the mayor is. And uh, we went back <laughs> and the second plane had hit. Now we got a second building burning. I had um, uh, had the weekend before trained with the military. So um, I had the admiral's phone number in my in my wallet and um, I gave the admiral a call. And oddly enough, uh, the military didn't know this was happening. And I, I'm calling down toward the Pentagon. Wow. Um, and, you know, you know, I listened to the commission that they put together, the 9-11 commission, and I hear a lot of revisionist history, you know, that I'm sitting there saying, it didn't happen that way. It didn't happen that way. You mean they, they were talking about it and it didn't happen that way? And you no, were there. I was there. And the governor was there. Governor, you, you, John, you have memories Johnny, of those? Uh, what, what Rudy Washington is saying is exactly right. I read so much of the histories of what happened that day. And just say, you know, I was there. That's not what happened. But let me just say something. Uh, about I wish Rudy you guys Washington. were in, in Dallas when uh, Kennedy got shot. Maybe <laughs> find out the truth. <laughs> <laughs> let me just say something about Rudy Washington. There were a lot of unsung heroes uh, on September 11th, and Rudy Washington was one of them. I talked to Mayor Giuliani first thing in the morning, as soon as I saw the second play hit, and let him know I was in the city and we were doing everything necessary to provide the state's resources to help. Uh, but then, as Rudy Washington was saying, uh, I couldn't talk to the mayor. He, he had been trapped in his building where the emergency center was, and Rudy Washington took the leadership reins and said, we're pulling everything together. Uh, and while we look for the mayor, you can work with me. And Rudy Washington and I had a number of calls that morning to make sure that the city, city and state were working well together. Uh, and then finally, uh, early afternoon, I got a call from Rudy Giuliani saying he's okay. And he had set up a temporary uh, command center. And Rudy Washington, you remember, yeah. I, I thought for about a minute and said, I'll be right there. And I brought the entire state team down to the same room where Rudy, Rudy Washington and the city team were. And we, the entire time of this crisis, we were at the same table in the same room. So there was never, you know, well, I thought you were going to do this or you were supposed to do that. No finger pointing. We had a seamless response. And uh, that afternoon, the federal officials, FEMA, came right, in. Right, they, they were joined. in the same room. Yeah. They were in the same room. And, and I remember uh, Peter Vallone being there as well, you know, uh, judge. You know, so we had all the key decision makers at the same table in the same room on September 11th itself. And I think that made an enormous difference in our ability to respond as well as we did to this catastrophe. And I think you guys responded uh, beautifully. I mean, shutting down, because you don't know what's going on, shutting down the bridge is probably the right thing to do, because you didn't know if the Taliban were going to come down Broadway attacking. Well, what happened? Yeah, that's exactly that's, yeah, that's exactly that, right. We didn't know what might happen next. You right. Know, uh, uh, the Pentagon had been hit. The the plane had gone down in Shanksville, and uh, uh, and you know there was just great concern about uh, possible follow-on attacks. And thank God we didn't have any of those. But we did everything possible to make sure that couldn't happen. Yeah, because uh, that morning the FAA would not tell us. How many planes were missing? I mean, so we were kind of operating in the dark. We I'm not sure the FAA knew. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they probably didn't. But we didn't know if Brooklyn Bridge was next. 
and there was tens of thousands of people flooding out of Manhattan mm-hmm. on the bridge. Uh, and so you would, you, if I remember, you would let them out, but you won't let anybody in. Well, actually, I went to close the bridge for a moment until, until the military got back to me and told me they'll be there in 30 seconds with air protection. Uh, and when they came over and the fighter jets were flying over, I opened the bridge back up because uh, I knew we couldn't be attacked. But, you know, we didn't know. Like, as the governor said, you know, we were taking all kind of precautions. Uh, what could happen next? Governor Patterson, where were you at the time? Well, oddly enough, uh, September 11th was primary day. You so were, we were voting. So I was voting. Who, and who'd you vote for? Not Mark Green. <laughs> well, I Not ne- Mark Green. I never got to vote for I voted All for right. Freddie Ferrer, actually. <laughs> All right. But, but we, we never got that far. They closed the polls by 11 o'clock. And then you had to make the decision, if you could do something to help, do it. If you couldn't do something to help at that point, get out of the way. And so I got my kids out of school and just tried to hope that uh, – Leadership, as it did, responded very effectively on what had to be the the dreariest day, I think, in American history. Uh, you know, one of the things that has not been reported, and since we have the governor on the phone, uh, the governor and I, you know, I told the governor, you know, uh, it, you know, we we need to know who's going to take over the city uh, in those hours that we could not reach Rudy, and, and we were actually researching for the governor to step in and take over the city. Why were you unable to reach Rudy? Where where was he? Well, the cell phones. He was stuck the, in one of the buildings. Oh, that's why the cell phones weren't working. Right, right. Okay, and the cell and phones the cell weren't phones working. In those days, uh, was it the iPhone minus one or something? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> People forget that was the dawn of the internet. Really, um, uh, you know, the city was just moving into the internet. We were just computerizing, uh, as as the judge knows, some of the agencies. Uh, so communications wasn't the best in terms of using telephones or the Internet or anything like that. No, that's exactly right. In fact, we there was a famous uh, crash of a subway train, a high street subway crash, and we did hearings at the city council. We found out that the motorman couldn't talk to the conductor because they couldn't communicate. So telecommunications were very, very bad. And, and the system, the system between the firemen uh, and the... Uh uh, police and the police were were back. And uh, entering the uh, studio now, we have uh, the former mayor Rudy Giuliani, and yeah, uh, uh, we have Governor Pataki on the phone and uh, 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 mayor. And uh, uh, we we were talking about where everybody was, and we were worried about you. And uh, Rudy uh, Washington was telling us about that uh, you were you were missing in action, and. <laughs> They, they weren't planning your funeral yet, but it was close. <laughs> well, you got to have my list, Rudy, of what I want. I got a whole big long list of what I want on my funeral. Well, Mayor, I was clear. Mark Green wasn't going to be the mayor. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of plan did you guys have in mind for that one? <laughs> no, no, I, was, I was telling Governor Pataki, you know, I have the lawyers do the research. And we made sure that, that uh, Governor uh, uh, Patterson did not vote for uh, Mark Green that day. No, I didn't. <laughs> All right. Freddie Farrar, not a bad guy. <laughs> Who's your uh, second choice, Peter Valance? So I, I'm going to – is George on the line? Governor? Yes, I am. Really. Hi, George. How are you? Good. So I want to ask a question. I've heard a rumor, and this may be totally wrong, but I've heard it for years, that somebody determined that Freddie Farrar was ahead when the vote stopped. I, I have never heard that. You never heard I, that I, rumor? I, okay, so that's just one of my I, crazy I never people. I've heard it, but I, but I did just uh, 
you know, it, it, it must it have been Carbonetti. He, must, he was around. Well, that's the room where it comes from, of <laughs> course. Well, who do you think it would come from? <laughs> yeah. No, I no, no, I never heard that. I just okay. knew that it was impractical, given what was going on, to, to ask people to go out and vote. So oh I no, you were t- you're totally right. I mean, it would, yeah, ridic- so it would have been ridiculous. You know, when yeah. I ran for mayor, I'm still looking for Carbonetti. There was was one building. I lost seventy three to zero. I can't have zero. What did Carbonetti do? Think it was a stolen election shot. <laughs> well, uh, Governor, what else would you? Where else were you uh, uh, thinking about when, before we buried Rudy? Where, where? What were you thinking about before the resurrection? We have a. Um, no, you know, I was I was just thinking of what needed to be done. You know, quite quite seriously. You know, it was a crisis that have ever anticipated. And uh, uh, one of the things I was thinking is how important it was that we work together. Uh, uh, and and you look at Katrina, where the feds were blaming the state, the state was blaming the city, the city was blaming the feds. And it was a horrible response. And we didn't have that on September 11th. And I think it's because Rudy, myself, President Bush, uh, the head of FEMA, Joe Alba, we just understood that Given the magnitude of the crisis, this was not about personality or politics. This is about doing the right thing. Uh, and when I look back at it, uh, I, I have two overwhelming feelings. One is sadness, you know, because we all lost close friends that day, and the horror was just terrific. New York responded, how uh, not just the firefighters and the EMTs and the police but citizens from every walk of life uh, just spent you know, days and days, weeks doing everything they could to save lives and then to help us get through this. And so I think we should all look back and, of course, understand the magnitude of the loss and the horror, but also have a sense of pride uh, that this was New York showing what it could do in a crisis and New York showing America at its best. Well, you know what I'm worried about now? That I mean, you were there. Rudy was there. Rudy Washington was there. I mean, uh, uh, Valone was there. Uh, who do we have now that can make those kind of decisions? Mm. Well, I don't even want to comment on oh, that. Oh, silence. Than, There's silence than, in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Other, the only thing I would say is that uh, of all the horror of September 11th, the thing, the positive that came out of it, to the extent there was any positive, was the sense of unity. That we were all Americans. We weren't Republicans, Democrats, Black, White. We were all Americans. We were all Americans. Uh, we had been. We were. Uh, we were attacked, and we were going to stand together. And you look at our leadership today. At a time when we should be trying to pull together, we have uh, demonizing half the American people as fascists uh, by our president, uh, deliberately looking to divide the people. For political gain, this is just terrific. It's the absence of leadership. It really we, we is. We should we should all be together. I understand on the line with us. We're, we're all together now. Is uh, uh, Commissioner Nigro that was there that day? Commissioner, former FDNY. Hello, John. Nice to be with you. Well, we got your old boss here. We have uh, uh, Rudy uh, Washington. We got uh, Rudy Giuliani. We got Governor Pataki on. We have Governor Patterson in the office. And uh, Judge Weinberg, and uh, uh, t- tell us your your memories of that day. Well, certainly, uh, we we heard from Brooklyn, where our headquarters is in Metrotech. We have heard and felt the initial hit at the North Tower, and uh, Pete Gancy and I we raced over the Brooklyn Bridge, and we were on the scene 
well before the second plane struck. So um, that day I told Pete on the way there, this will be the worst day of our lives. Mm. And little did I know, you know, it was certainly, certainly was, and Pete lost his life as did uh, 343 of our members and so many police officers from NYPD and Port Authority, uh, all trying to do the same thing, all trying to help those poor people uh, trapped in those towers by that terrorist attack. Who Did anybody, uh, did anybody, uh, Governor Pataki or Mayor uh, Giuliani, did anybody realize those towers had a chance of coming down? I never uh, well, thought in my wildest dream that they would come down. It was just yeah. horrifying to watch I, and see first one, then the other. I ch- check this with with the chief, but I I sort of had a conception that if it came down, it, it would come down the way other buildings come down. In other words, in stages. Mm. Uh, yeah, so, we I, I, I actually I actually thought, but I can't remember it. Put my words. I can't remember the words exactly. But I thought Pete said something to me, sort of suggesting that he said something. He said to me, "We're going to, Mayor. We're going to be here a long time, and we're going to have to have reinforcements." And one of the things he wanted from us right away, because I brought Carrick over with me, he wanted uh, he wanted the streets cleared. He said these people are blocking things, and we're going to have to move people in and out quite a bit. I'm going to have to take some of these guys out right away. And we're going to be here a long, long time. You know, Mayor, I've always wondered about that. It didn't come down the way a building normally would in a fire. It came down almost as if uh, it had exploded from from the inside of it. Yeah, the way construction. construction Don't start with the conspiracy theory on today (laughs) because there's conspiracy theory out there that there was was bombs set within the building. And it made it come straight down. No, but, you know, once a plane of that size hits a building with a kind of fuel in it, it's a bomb itself. So it could do the same damage. Yes. You know, you know what the a lot medical, of... The medical examiner, Hirsch, ex- gave me one of the best explanations of it that afternoon because I went to see him to ask him how many body bags I needed and what kind of a morgue were we going to have to put up and did we have to expand it. Hirsch had gone down there to watch it. In fact, he had an injury that he self... He self- uh, he, he actually stitched it up himself. He looked like something out of Frankenstein with a hand all. And I said to him, "How many? How many bodies am I going to have to deal with?" Because uh, he had told me straight out they're almost all dead. Mm. He said, "You don't have to tell them right away, but they're almost all dead." Now somebody but was he telling told, me. Today. He told me, John. He yeah. told me they evaporated. Mm-hmm. He said, God. "You're going to be looking." For, and he he said, "That's how the building imploded. The building evaporated in the middle." The, 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 the heat was so intense. The, the jet fuel is like ridiculous, 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. It melted the inside of the building. So the inside of the building just collapsed on itself. That, that, at least that's what he told me. And if you remember, Mayor, you and the governor, uh, the press was pressing you guys for a number, mm-hmm. an estimated number. And, yeah. and you said privately to a couple of us, I can't put a number out there. I don't think New York could bear to hear the number ten to twenty thousand. We didn't know. We had no idea, and and, and they were trying 12. to they were trying to make the mayor give them an estimate. And, and and privately, Rudy said, you know, I don't want to put a number out there. You and know, had the attack occurred later, there probably would have been three to four times the death toll because 
people were still coming into work when it started. You know, Governor, that's a very, very uh, interesting mm-hmm. point. It's almost as if they don't understand New York. We start work later. Mm-hmm. That would have been the exactly right time to hit Houston or 9 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. We're not full until about 10. Yeah. Now, the, it's the amazing. question, somebody uh, was talking about it before. Was it you, Governor Patterson, or Tony Carbonetti was uh, uh, that uh, that the fire was burning for at least four or five months? Within within the uh, the rubble uh, the rubble you mean down below yes sure uh, four or five months certainly three with all that with all that rain and everything well it was way below ground it was like um, three four five stories below ground seven and we, stories underground seven that's seven right stories. and we didn't and have remember, much rain John wow you know it's interesting I remember, we didn't I have much rain when, I remember when uh, Mike Bloomberg was being sworn in on January first. And you'd look from the from the scaffolding at Grace uh, at City Hall, and you could still see the smoke rising from Ground Zero. Yeah, you know, and that was from September 11th to January 1st. It was just uh, just awful. But the the courage of the people who worked that pile, 24 hours every day, it was still burning uh, and obviously toxic. But they had a mission to do, and they did it incredibly well. I want to ask FDNY Commissioner Nigro and, of course, um, America's Mayor Rudy Giuliani and Governor Pataki and as well as you, Rudy Washington. What I noticed, I was a, a young I was a young production assistant working for CBS News. So I watched all the news coverage. We had to go down to the site. But what struck me is you guys had no time to mourn. You lost a lot of friends there. You saw a lot of devastation and you just had to keep pushing through. How were you able to just keep on going and never break down and stay strong, not just for New York City, but for the entire world? So I'll start it off with you, Rudy. Rudy, um, uh, forgetting uh, it, forgetting it. Uh, uh, just say, I remember I remember the first one that really hit me. It was the first one that I was notified of. Tom Von Essen walked in. And said, uh, Father Judge, body has been recovered, and they're carrying him to St. Peter's Church. I actually had, within seconds before that, been thinking, I want to get him to help me. Mm. Uh, He was the fire department chaplain. He was legendary. He was a great priest, a great preacher. And he was, I had the first fire death with him and went to the home, and I said to him, Father, I don't know how to explain death. Tell me how to do it. And he did. And uh, he was sort of a spiritual advisor, too, since every once in a while I commit a few sins. I can't announce what those are now. but And he used to help me. So he tells me that Father Judge is dead. He's the guy I would have leaned on. Mm. He's the guy that I would have privately told how frightened I was, how scared I was, how confused I was. I wasn't sure whether I made the right decision. I'm not sure I would have said it to anybody else but him. And all of a sudden, he's taken away from me. And I tell you, it it was a feeling in my stomach was, holy, you know what? (laughs) I'm all by myself. Mm. Uh, You just took the guy away that I need the most. And Commissioner Nigro, you lost so many of your men. Well, I think uh, think we're still mourning. You know, we mourned along as Uh. we worked. And there was no, uh, there was no break for the members. Uh, members went to funerals. When the funeral was over, they came back down to the site, and they did what they had to do until the end of May, uh, 2002. We were there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, with members of the police department and others, and we tried to do the best we could to recover 
everyone that we could and give some semblance of closure to as many families as possible. But I think the members of the department uh, are still mourning 21 years later. And Rudy Washington? Uh, I remember that day I, I, I said to myself, I got to compart- compartmentalize all of this because if I feel it, I won't be able to function. And um, what happened afterwards, uh, and as, as the mayor knows, um, you know, I, in my eight years, I had threats on my life. I, you know, had police protection off and on. And, and um, I never at one time thought of quitting. And I remember praying um, when we started doing the funerals because the mayor couldn't be at every single funeral. Uh, and I remember praying, saying, you know, I want to quit. Mm. And a voice, voice said, if not you, who? Wow. Mm. Wow. wow. Yeah, 21 years later, it still hurts. Yeah. I'm it, sorry. It, Commissioner, how about you? No, I'll, I'll get back to that. You know, um, we, we attended more funerals than we ever imagined. And um, uh, people in the city were there for us, and they're still there. They're still there for us. And, and Sunday will be, uh, as it is been every year, a solemn day for the members of the department, for the members of the police department, Port Authority, and for the city as, as a whole. So uh, I'll be down once again for the reading of the names, and, and you hear each and every name, and uh, whether it's a member of our department, a member of the police department, or a poor civilian victim, um, Every name brings sadness. I understood. It's very, it's very, very emotional. It's very hard to go back to that day because you don't know where you're going back to. I can go back to that day and I can have some of the most joyous thoughts of bravery and courage and the firefighters getting up on the top of that a bunch of junk and putting up the flag like Iwo Jima. Or I can remember a couple of the early bodies that were recovered that were smashed to pieces. And it was a father bringing a son out. And you don't even know how to deal with that. And I think Rudy is right. I kept saying to myself, I can't think about it now. We've got to take a break, but we'll be back. Uh, we're taking a break. We're going to talk to Lou Dobbs, have him tell us how the markets are like. And we're going to come back uh, with our entire group. And Nigel Farage from Great Britain might be calling in to let us know what the heck is going on in, in England. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. 77 WABC and Tunnel to Towers Foundation present 9-11. 21 years later. Now... Here's John Katsimatidis and Cats at Night. Welcome back to the John Katsimatidis Cats at Night show. An emotional tribute. Um, Yeah, they they did the report. They did the Lou Dobbs report already. And uh, we're working to get uh, Nigel Farage on. And then uh, Rudy Washington, I know this has been an emotional day for you. You're an unsung hero. You worked so hard that day. You saw some horrors and kind of bringing back those memories and 
you were just telling us those pictures that the helicopters took of the people like standing by the window, just so yeah. desperate to get away, to get out of there. Yeah, before they jumped, uh, I had the pictures. I'm not sure what I did with them, but the helicopter was hovering. You know, I, I, I felt for those pilots because they couldn't do anything. Couldn't help them. And then uh, Mayor Giuliani, you were saying, too, that, uh, you know, you think about it every single day. Well, the, one that, the picture that comes back every day is the guy is the guy that shot. It was the first thing. You know, I've been through 100 emergencies, probably had the arrogant thought that we could handle any emergency. I mean, Carrick and I certainly thought we could handle any emergency there was. That's why I said to him, Bernie, this is different. And all of a sudden, I see this guy jump. And all the things that you're, we have time to talk about now probably ran through my head. Why did he do it? How could he do it? Uh, escaping fire. What must it be like to be in that position? And uh, you either have to, if you, if the fire is coming towards you, you have to decide if you're going to burn to death or. Yeah, yeah. And then you know, I actually thought at some point when he came down and he hit the ground, I didn't know that Father Judge may have been killed by somebody who jumped. I, I said, oh, my God, maybe he made the wrong decision. He could have killed somebody. He could have hit somebody I, I on the ground. And I, I, some people think Father Judge was killed by a jumper. So it was a very, very strange. The other part that's very hard to, to relive are the children. Uh, I, I, Rudy, you mentioned the funerals. But right. I, 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 did, I did probably 100 eulogies. And um, you'd think they become routine. A lot of them did until you got to the children. And when it came to trying to explain to two kids or three kids or four kids why they weren't going to have a daddy or in some cases a mommy, it was hard to get past it without, without breaking down. I would have to, like, break, stop, and then think. And I would tell them, you know, your, your dad is still with you. He's still part of you. He's part of your genes. He's part of your body. You can get his memories from your mom. Your mom will tell you what a great man he was, and you have that courage in you. And then when I would finish, I'd always feel unsatisfied. Like, I, I, I tried hard to convey, but I didn't feel like. That was the hardest part for me, for me also, Mayor. Yeah, right. Uh, and as a result, I, I think since then I've only done my parents' funeral. Yeah. Uh, for that very reason. Um, other than that, you know, I, I've avoided funerals completely. And it was the kids. Yeah, it's sitting the kids. on the front row, right by the casket, and there they are. And you know, and you know, they never. You can't. You know, you can't replace Daddy. I mean, how you going to? And, and these were usually exceptional. Well, think about who. We're not just talking about ordinary people. We're talking about people who have the courage to knowingly give up their life to save other people. That's a pretty exceptional person. Wow. And, um, you think about just how much the world has changed. I feel like there was a time before 9-11 and a time after 9-11. Do you feel like, I, I, I think... Well, you, what, I, what I am concerned about, and me and uh, uh, Mayor uh, Giuliani talked about it during the press conference at 2 o'clock this afternoon, is right now there's terrorists being trained in Afghanistan mm -hmm. that might be want to attack us again. Or coming across the border? Well, we're, yeah, worse than that, Well, we got the borders open. I, I worry. I mean, you know, we, this, let's laugh about it. That we got people, we got people uh, checking. Before you get on an airplane, you take off your shoes, you take off your belt, you, know, you take off your underwear, whatever yeah, you have. Yeah, they fill uh, you up, fill you, you down. The, the, the borders, 
you got the borders open and they're swimming across the Rio Grande. And we don't even know who they are. They just admitted that there are people that were not vetted coming from Afghanistan who are likely members of terrorist organizations. The White House has just admitted that. How awful is that? We got Nigel Farage is on the line with us. Nigel, um, how are you, sir? Hello. Well, it's been a couple of days of very deep and very profound sadness in the UK, I can tell you. This woman who had been our monarch for over 70 years, and there she was just two days ago, shaking hands with Liz Truss, our new prime minister, her 15th prime minister, the first, of course, being the great Winston Churchill. And within the space of a few hours, she was gone. So it's been a really shocking, numbing day in London today. I've watched streams of people walking down to Buckingham Palace, carrying with them their little floral tributes, uh, people walking, huge numbers of people, in total silence, no one talking, people literally just numbed at what has happened. Nigel Farage, I I had heard a story that she wasn't, Queen Elizabeth was in a little bit of pain when she met with Liz Truss, but she was insistent on doing it. She wanted to carry her duties. Does that surprise you that even to the end, even in pain, even in, she just she said, you know what, this I am the queen and this is my duty and this is what I need to do. She was a woman of deep Christian principles, a woman who understood what duty and service actually meant. She promised the nation on her 21st birthday that she would devote her life to the service of the nation. And even though And you can tell from that final photograph, just looking at one or two very clear giveaways, you could tell that she was clearly in a very, very bad state. She managed to do it. She managed to smile. Just, I think that photograph will linger for centuries. And people say, my goodness me, wasn't this woman just incredible? And I've been reflecting over the last couple of days. She was, without doubt, the most famous person in the world. And I think she was the most loved person in the world. She was just known as the Queen. She was known all over the world just as the Queen. You say the Queen, you knew exactly who you were talking about. And she just, I I worry that the the values that she stood for, that she represented, somehow with her passing, um, I worry those values are now in decline. And then King Charles, his his address to the world, not just to the nation, was, Mm. was beautiful. It was so per- it was so poignant. Well, there's a recognition that uh, the English crown was carrying forth the values of Western civilization. That's very, very important. But that's how you show yes. leadership, what King Charles did. And I think a lot of our world leaders could take a few notes on, on that address. What did you think, yeah. Nigel? It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. It, it was beautiful. It was moving. I thought the way that he talked about his mother... Um, He talked about her as any of us would talk about our mothers, and that really struck a chord. You know, they may be royalty, but they're still human beings. That came across very, very clearly. And like his mum, albeit at the age of 73, he pledged for whatever years God gives him left on this earth to do his duty. Um, And he looked into the camera and said that, and you somehow knew that he absolutely meant it. Um, It's so difficult, you know. Amidst all this sadness, amidst all these tears, so difficult for Charles to take this role on. But I thought tonight he made a really magnificent start. Well, Nigel Farage, uh, tell us what else, because we're going to have to take a break in about a minute. Uh, how, 
the British people loved. They loved. She was loved worldwide. And uh, how do you think they're going to feel about uh, uh, our new king? Well, our new king is a very different character to the queen. <laughs> um, he he wears his heart very much on his sleeve. He's very much more emotional publicly than the queen ever was. There's one just slight note of warning, and it's this. He has, over the years, got himself very involved in politics. The point of our head of state is that they are above the grubbiness, the bitterness, the squabbling, the division of politics. And as long as Charles does what he said in that speech, where he said the issues and charities that I've been, avoid, that I've been involved with must now pass to someone else, as long as he stays a completely neutral head of state, just like a sort of father of the nation, as long as he does that, he will succeed. He just, he just must not let politics get in the way of that job. Nigel Farage, um, thank you so much for filling in the American people. Without you, we won't know much. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you very thank much. You, thank you, Nigel. And let's take a thank break you. right now. And uh, we still have a great show coming on. And uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of interesting things. Let's do that. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, we're back, and uh, right now we have one of our regulars. We have uh, Larry Kudlow, and uh, he was the country's leading economist and our previous president, and he's the number one guy on Fox Business. Larry, where were you in 9-11? Well, I was home in my home office, John, on the Upper East Side. And watching TV and saw the first plane hit. And I don't know, something inside me said, we're being attacked. And then, of course, shortly thereafter, the second plane hit. Then it became very clear. So, you know, that was a terrible day. Um, We must never forget 9-11. I'm sure everybody's been saying that, but I'll say it too. We must never forget 9-11. You don't read about it much anymore. And, John, just a couple points, you know. To protect this country against another 9-11, I think we really need to close our border in the southern end. We must close our border. The authorities are reporting certain terrorists have crept through. And the other thoughts I have quickly, we need to strengthen our local cops, not just in New York. I'm talking all around the country because you never know where it could hit. We must strengthen our cops and provide them with the resources. And we must strengthen our military to provide the resources. And my final point is we need to reignite our economy, which will throw off the resources so there's enough to go around and strengthen the border authorities and the local police authorities and, of course, our military. Only a strong economy. This was Reagan's theory. Reagan's theory, peace through strength. But a strong economy will produce the resources to have a strong national defense. So let's not Larry, forget, but let's not forget the ways of me. I was yes. watching your 4 o'clock show before, and I saw uh, uh, Janet Yellen uh, was saying they're going to thoroughly destroy the uh, fossil fuel uh, business in North yes. America. I yes. mean, uh, in me and you argue about real estate, about increased uh, uh, interest rates, which is fine. Friends always argue, but they're, they're in the middle of destroying the real estate industry. What's the next industry they're going to destroy? The car industry. Yeah. 
Tell us what yeah, that's well, going on. kind of destroying the military industry. Are they if destroying you, if the military? Ta- if you take a look at how the... We, how can America so, so be strong if we don't have a China, military? national security? China has a larger navy than we do. Now, that's, that, that's, that's crazy. And, and our, if, you, if you look at our budget, uh, based on the rate of inflation, about the only place that didn't get increased is the military. I mean, he, the, well, guy, the guy is spending money... Like it uh, grows on that's trees. The point. But he, that's he, the point I'm making. You know, as a young man, I worked for Reagan as deputy budget director. As I can always <laughs> argued, peace through strength. And part of that strength to have the resources, the literally the revenues to have a strong military across the board. And I'm adding to this the local police departments. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Okay? As you should. You've got to have a strong economy. And there's Janet Yellen out there saying we are going to abolish fossil fuels. She literally said that, abolish fossil fuels, which will destroy the economy. Make no mistake about that. And what they're doing in California, John Katsimatidis, what they're doing in California, where they think in 10 or 12 years they're going to abolish automobiles, what they're really abolishing is electricity. By banning natural gas and staying away from nuclear power, they are abolishing electricity. It's like pulling the plug on our entire economy. This is so incredibly stupid and counterproductive. It's almost beyond belief. And this might be a, a joke in poor taste, but what's the difference between California and the Titanic? The Titanic had its lights on when it sank. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you know, uh, uh, Larry, this is Rudy. John Katz, can I just I want to say one thing. Please. Thank you for a wonderful 100th anniversary party. The other <laughs> it was a fabulous party. I want to thank you for that. Well, thank you for uh, helping. helping uh, and you uh, looked very dashing. Well, no, thank you for helping WABC become number one in talk radio and mm-hmm. number four uh, worldwide. That's yeah, well, you've done, you've done a fabulous job, John. And by the way, uh, it's true for my show, but I think it's going to be true for the rest of the network. We have a tremendous growing following throughout the solar system. I, I agree with you. And uh, um, one of my uh, people that worked for me before was in the Philippines. He com- she complained that she couldn't get the show on the Philippines. Well, we had it fixed. She called me for my birthday and told me she got she's getting the show in the Philippines. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Kendall, but, thank you so much, and God pleasure. bless you, and God bless my America, pleasure. and have a great weekend. Yes, take care. Bye-bye. And uh, now on the line, we have Dr. Pina Michalos. Oh, you're calling him now. What the heck were you? Well, uh, I, I understand that Dr. Michalos has got some revelations. Oh, Michalos uh, is there. Dr. Michalos has some revelations about what happened in 9-11 with the, uh, with the fires. Dr. Michalos? Hi there, team. Uh, yes, I actually, when you started talking about why the towers fell, it's very interesting because the senior engineer who worked on the project was a patient of mine, and he explained to me that construction started in 1968, but by 1970 it became known that asbestos uh, exposure was a uh, toxic problem. So basically what happened was that the steel beams that were supposed to be sprayed with asbestos were only sprayed in the lower floors of the of the North Tower. And in early oh April my 1970s, God. And New this York is City breaking Department, news? I mean, does people know about that? No, there's a, the, the, in discovery, doesn't, doesn't the, uh, the, 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 the mesothelioma 
uh, lawsuits and discovery. They, I actually sent you a copy from the discovery quoting them. In early April 1970, New York City Department of Air Resources established asbestos spray insulation regulations. Contractors using asbestos insulation the Twin Arrows failed to comply with these regulations. As a result, there was a stop work order. The department orders contractors to stop asbestos in the World Trade Center. The upper levels of the North Tower and the entirety of the South Tower contained only asbestos mm. alternatives, not fire. So that's why the steel, steel. So the steel was not shielded, and now that's one of the reasons the steel melted. Yeah. No, he explained to me what right. happened was that in that section where the jet fuel was burning, it melted the steel, and then the weight on top of it caused a, a pancake effect, like a giant hammer coming from above to the two floors below, and that's what pancaked it down. This guy has passed away now for 10 years, but he told me this in 2003, and I wrote little notes because it was of interest to me because I was one of the people who went down from Roosevelt Hospital by Stuyvesant High School where all the police and firefighters yeah. were coming into the bathrooms using the student bathrooms, and I was just flushing out eyeballs for about five hours until I went back to Long Island, but it was of interest to me, but it's because of the asbestos. But getting on to the medical aspect of all of this, that uh, the number of cases of prostate cancer among the people who were down there is 25% higher. Leukemia was 41% higher. And thyroid cancer, two times than the national average. And also lung problems. So those are the top four that people mm. are still suffering who were in that area, whether they were first responders or other government officials and doctors who went down there to help as well. And uh, that's that's really what happens. And uh, the latency period for some of these exposures are up to 40 years later. The other thing nobody talks about, all the paper and all the fake furniture that's in these office buildings contains what? Formaldehyde. And when formaldehyde burns, that's a known carcinogen. But nobody really talks about it. They just say toxic dust. But the main killer was that formaldehyde from all the tons and tons of papers that were burning and all those particle board, that's why it was burning continuously, because when you burn particle bo board, it burns and it, it smolders. It doesn't go out instantly uh, uh, with some of these chemicals that they use to make these uh, the, the plastics and the glues used in the fake particle furniture that most uh, commercial offices have. So that's another interesting Rudy, thing. did they ever figure out why Seven World Trade Center came down? Because there was no plane crash into that. Well, the, actually, the Seven World Trade Center came down the way a building normally comes down. Uh, it was it was hit hard by both buildings, which took off the top of it. And then it, it came down in stages over a four- or five-hour period. And, and that uh, power was lost, too. And that was predicted. I mean, the, uh, uh, one hour before it came down, the fire department knew it was going to come down. But what the doctor is saying, uh, the World Trade Center was a very, very cheap building. You would know this, John. It was a very poorly built building. It wow. was the number one site for our fire department for problems, elevator problems, fire problems, other problems. It was a problem building. And actually, one of the reasons they were able to conduct the best rescue effort ever, according to the 9-11 Commission, is they knew that building like the back of their hand. Our fire department spent more time in that building than any building in New York City because it was, may I say, shitty building? Because it was a shitty building. It was a very poorly, cheaply, 
Oh, I can't say that. All right. It was a very poorly built building. You could say crappy building. It was like, a crappy building. Like a true New Yorker. I liked it the first way, Mayor. Yeah. I didn't say a lot of crap. Tell him it like every, it is. Every firefighter f- that was anywhere around that area probably responded to that building 50 times. And uh, Terry Hatton knew that building like the back of his hand. He the was the captain of us to jail. Rescue One. <laughs> I mean, it was a very, poor, it was a very poorly built building. The new one is a much better, a much better, more modern building. But so was, it could what, what kind of a building was that building, again, Mayor? No, we're coming up on the Don't egg him on, <laughs> well, the Governor. Building, you were around when that happened. Will the new building withstand a jet tra- uh, going into? Don't know for sure. I don't. I, that no, I don't nobody know. Nobody knows. Sure. Thank you, Doctor Michalos. Thank you, uh, guys, for telling the truth to uh, all our entire audience. Uh, uh, Mayor Giuliani <laughs> and uh, Governor Patterson, uh, Rudy G- Washington, uh, J- Judge Weinberg, Lydia, and what do we stand for? Truth, truth justice, justice, and the American, American way. way. God bless America. God bless the world. <laughs>